Our Three Cents is part of the Greenlit Podcast Network. For more information, please go to greenlitpodcasts.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I'm joined by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Nails bitten to the quick. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. Chicken soup for your hole. <laughs> and we are discussing our all-time top 100 favourite video games. Announcement! Announcement! Before we dive into the episode, we would love to point you in the direction of our usuals. YouTube. Go to YouTube, search for Our Three Cents, and you can find all manner of video content from our good selves, including a, just I mean, over 30 episodes of Inky Dunk now, the series that me and Minty are doing, where we're doing runs of The Binding of Isaac Afterbirth Plus. There are some cracking videos on there, uh, including some recent ones of me uh, failing miserably. So, um, <laughs> yeah, check them out, uh, just, just for a bit of context. <laughs> And we also have a Patreon page. We would love it if you popped over there, patreon.com slash r3cents. Have a little look at the perks that are on offer in exchange for some pennies of pledgery. There are all kinds of things like full bonus episodes, deleted scenes, custom artwork, access to the r3cents Discord channel. Come and join us. Come and join us. We'd love it. But we understand that these are tough times. And if you want to support the podcast, but find your purse strings just a little too tight for now, then please do feel free to share the podcast on your social media platforms and uh, and, and 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 bring some friends along. So, I I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong, I'm very excited to talk about my eighth favourite video game of all time. But if possible, I'm actually more excited because today we are reaching the 100th question in the R3 Sense quiz. God, the whole box. The whole box. We've gone through the whole box. And who'd have thought that there'd be... I mean, Minty's on 50, Chris is on 49. It's unprecedented. We've got some incredible mileage out of it, considering <laughs> this is the sort of thing really that you have. just sort of wheel out during a party and be like, hey, uh, who's Sonic's friend? Exactly. Yeah. So it comes down to this. If Chris gets this question right, then you're going to be tied, and it will have rendered the entire last 100 weeks moot. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I do have something up my sleeve, if that is the case. Not not for today, but um, so you can relax your sphincters. <laughs> <laughs> Quiz. Are you ready? It is a multiple choice question. Oh, okay. I hate them. I have had a little look ahead. What was last week's question? What's the name of Sonic's friend? The fox who's got two tails. So uh, <laughs> given the incredibly consistent difficulty curve of these questions, here we go. Who created a tennis game called Chase on his brown box years before the release of Pong? Oh, okay. Hmm. Is it A, Nolan Bushnell? Is it B, Ralph Baer? Is it C, William Higginbotham? Or is it D, Gerald Lawson? Ugh, Ralph Bayer? Uh, I I was going to say Clive Sinclair. He's, he's old and he does computer <laughs> things, doesn't he? But I'll go with A instead. Okay, well, the correct answer is... B, Ralph oh! Bayer. Chris oh! gets the points. <laughs> 50 all! <laughs> oh, 50 all. I don't believe What's it! What's the bloody 50 point? All. What's the what point? What's the point? <laughs> 
absolutely oh I mean, man well done both of you and well done chris for pulling it back right at the uh snatching victory well snatching i mean mediocrity from the jaws of defeat <laughs> i guess <laughs> if anything but yeah. yeah fear not because i will prepare a i'm going to prepare a tiebreaker round to uh to do in a couple of weeks time after we've done the next bonus episode um so you've got a couple of weeks to to bone up on all of your video game knowledge 40 years of, of stats and figures 40 years of stats and figures um to uh yeah to come to the fore in a uh, in a tiebreaker which will see only one winner and my goodness my goodness will it be one of you <laughs> mm. if i wanted to win in a quiz i would simply research every single thing about the chosen subject you do loads of things in two weeks Ten thousand hours easy mm. that's how long it takes to master something isn't it what was the name of that show where someone in the family had to learn a skill and then perform it on the night oh, yeah it was just awful so tense yes. what was it called though? Oh, what was the name was, of the show was it silla black who hosted it i know the i one think you're talking so about. moment of truth oh moment of truth yeah moment, moment of, of truth, truth. yeah because I remember somebody had to learn how to do the um the, the thing where you flick a tablecloth and keep all of the cutlery and crockery just standing there. Oh uh, my I, God. I, I, by gum, they did it. There's two I remember. There was one where someone had to memorise every flag in the world. <laughs> and, it, and it showed all the B-roll shots of them at home like with the flags glued all over their walls. And another one where they had to, there was like a pyramid of wine glasses and whilst wearing roller skates, they had to disassemble the pyramid <laughs> and reassemble it on the other side of the stage. Jesus Christ. <laughs> so we've had another question come in from the social media sphere. Oh yeah? Yeah. Patreon subscriber Rob Wade has asked, is there a game that just landed for us, even though we knew it was kind of rubbish? <laughs> the example he cites was uh, Naughty Bear on the Xbox 360. And I-, I remember when that came out because I was working in game and we did a huge publicity push for it before it was released. And we were getting everyone really excited for it. Then all the reviews came out and we barely sold a copy. It just wasn't very good. It just wasn't very good. <laughs> yeah. It was it was it put put all its bucks behind its concept and went, you know what was funny? Conquer's Bad Fur Day. That was it. That was it. <laughs> and I, I mean I've struggled to think of something for this. And I was trying to think of, of one that was outside of my list that would qualify, but I can't really think of one. There's, I mean, there's definitely a couple on my list that, like I said at the time, wouldn't appear on anyone else's top 100 list. Things like Jurassic Park on the Game Boy, which I absolutely loved. I think if I hadn't recently replayed Bug on the Saturn, I think <laughs> that would have qualified as this. But oh, unfortunately, it's, it's really bad. It did not hold up when I played it, and it was pretty tawdry. But like thinking back to when I was a kid, we would play the arse off any game that we had because we didn't know when we'd get another game to distract ourselves, especially like shareware games like uh, God of Thunder came up in conversation the other day, like an old MS-DOS shareware game. Classic. I mean, I loved that. It's probably not a great game, but I loved it. Or I've Got Some Balls, yeah, a, a game that I think we've mentioned in passing before, the sort of Marble Blast-esque shareware game that, yeah, I had a great time playing, but again... It's probably pretty bloody ropey, but it was all we had. Uh, but I think the game that, that probably has the most differential ratio between my enjoyment of it and its Metacritic rating is probably Sonic 3D. Yeah. And yeah. I know that when I spoke about the game, I rather sheepishly posited that it might be a smidge too high on my list. But it doesn't change the fact that I absolutely love it. I think I had the benefit of coming to the game without having played the classic Sonic games first 
I was probably like one of the only people who was in that position. So I didn't know what, what I wasn't getting in a Sonic game as opposed to, you know, all the people wanting Sonic the Hedgehog 4. But I, 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 I love Sonic 3D. I think it's a brilliant game and I had so much fun playing it. And I wish to high heaven that there was a stereoscopic 3D port of it on the 3DS. Uh, that would absolutely make it. And I think that would be a brilliant game. Oh, I'd love that. What about you guys? Minty? Yeah, well, like you said, it's, it's, it's been a difficult one to think of because I feel like I've, I've, I've answered this question or questions like it many times before in a very similar way in that I don't really pick up a game if I hear people say that it's bad. Mm. So honestly, it's been a real struggle because looking over my list, that's 100 games out of maybe 150 that I've played in my entire life and they're all ones that have had uh, you know decent reviews or they had a unique mechanic or some some such and such as that but I think for a game that was completely panned by most people that I still really enjoyed and I didn't really get why it was so bad so maybe you two could shed some light on this for me I really had a nice time with Plants vs Zombies 2 Ah, I think, um, I mean, the reason why I didn't like it is because they changed the setup of it to being a freemium game rather than a premium game. Yeah. It was during that time when developers just got greedy. I mean, I say that time, it's still this time. Yeah. uh, Where where lives on a timer, pay to win bits and bobs. I think I'm one of those people that finds it very hard to just go... Oh, I'm just going to enjoy this for what it is because I'm a all or nothing type of person, which is why I've said I've had some problems with freemium games before. <laughs> Asterix. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so for me, Plants vs. Zombies 2, I couldn't just be like, right, I'll play five levels and then I'll leave it for a bit. I'd be like, right, well, I, I guess I probably wouldn't mind spending $9.99 on a subscription to pay every month that will then do this. And then before you know it, you've spent, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. That was it, really. For me, it all came down to if I had played Plants vs. Zombies 2 in total isolation, I, I could have appreciated it as a mobile game that was free to play that I could have had like for 15 minute bursts and, and that would be fine. But because it was coming from PopCap that, you know, a couple of their games have been on my list, like the first Plants vs. Zombies. Yeah. I think their, their premium titles, the stuff they were making before they were then bought by EA, yeah, showcases just an unbelievable amount of polish and balance and everything is so finely tuned that things were tough but it had that ramping difficulty you could always feel like well i can do better and that's kind of on me to improve my skills at this game and the mobile version of two just felt like too many stages you would get overrun because it wanted you to spend three quid so you could have the chili pepper in your arsenal or whatever it might have been and as I say, if I'd never played any of the others, I think I probably could have enjoyed it for, for a few weeks and played it on and off. But coming off the back of something that I really, really loved and had played intensely for, for the time it took me to beat that game, it just it wasn't what I wanted. So, yeah, the core of it, I don't think, is a bad game because it is essentially operating mm. on exactly the same thing as the, as the home console or mobile versions of the first game. But it's just with those the extra kind of wrapper of the free-to-play stuff just felt like it watered down the purity of their own design. And and I think that was my issue, really. Mm. The folly of man. <laughs> How about you, Chris? What's a, what's a game that, that you enjoyed despite possibly being the only one to do so? 
I think this could apply to quite a lot of games I play. Yeah, <laughs> and it really I is. Mean, I don't know if I've ever really vocalised properly why I quite enjoy average or, or middling games, but I, I think it's down to it's, it's down to the amount of time we have to play games, and I think it's down to there being a sort of pressure to enjoy certain things in life. It feels like sometimes, and if a game is is really well reviewed and critically revered, or if a game has been bigged up by you two, for instance, or if a game is kind of like all over sort of games media as being the new hot thing that everyone is talking about and playing it, when I start to play it, it just seems to carry like a real weight and and there's like a pressure to really give it attention so I can be part of that conversation. I can find out why people are enjoying it. I can, you know, experience all these little bits and bobs that, that people are really enjoying. And having to do that when everyone says it's great, it, it just feels like you're supposed to play it with a certain level of reverence like an unwritten pressure that says, you know, in those small bits of time you do have to play games, you should be giving game X or game Y all of your attention undivided, <laughs> and then you can love it in accordance with its critical value and its position <laughs> in, in, in the zeitgeist with everyone else. Yeah. Whereas when I pick up something like, oh, big bobby car, <laughs> there's none of that because no one gives a shit about it. Like, no <laughs> one cares. <laughs> and, and because of that, it's like most people are unaware it even exists at a, as a piece yeah. of media. There's no expectation for me to have an opinion on it that I know already that it's not going to be a particularly quality product. And so when I do play something like that, it's just all that weight is lifted. There's no pressure on me. And I'm still playing a game. I'm still having that feeling of interaction, that that feeling can, you know, interactive entertainment that I've loved since I was four years old. But without the layers that can make good stuff feel quite tiring. And I mean... As a comparison, like we all have favourite films, we all have favourite TV shows, favourite stuff that we watch. Like my favourite film is Punch Drunk Love, and yet oh, yeah. keep it, keeping on the Adam Sandler track, I'm far more likely to watch Happy Gilmore of an evening <laughs> if I want to watch something, <laughs> because Punch Drunk Love is is quite heavy going. It's really draining to watch, and as much as I appreciate all the stuff I love about it, I'm probably going to have a better time in terms of just easing into the evening and, and getting ready for bed watching something i can just almost switch off from just watching a crocodile eat a man's wooden hand it's a good film <laughs> it's a good joke <laughs> but, but every once Chubbs in a while Peterson. though every once in a while though i i end up really enjoying one of these b-tier games and obviously we joke about big bobby car that is not one of the ones that i'm going to go to my grave as saying it's the best game ever but looking over the last few years I had a huge amount of love for Simpsons Hit and Run, despite it not being oh, as strong as... that's a great as, game. But it's not as strong as any of the open world games it was riffing on. Probably not. So it, it does something very good for that for that package and for that license, but it's not as good as lots of other stuff. Or even like last year, I played a lot of Hungry Shark World on the Switch. I don't even know if I mentioned it on the podcast because it was su- such a no, nothing I'm not game. I'm surprised you didn't. But, you know, it's, it's a freemium that's been made premium, Endless Runner for the Switch. And despite it having awful performance issues, it crashed all the time. <laughs> me, and, me and Georgia played it on and off for probably like 50 hours over the course Jeez. of six months. Just every once in a while, we'd put it on for an hour, see if we could Try beat each other's you. scores. Yeah, and, and then just put it to rest again. I think the one that I'd have to showcase, though, at least recently, was Yonder. Oh, yeah. Because that is a title that all the reviews were pretty middling. Yeah, they were, actually. But for me, it, it just it just really hit a Ooh. sweet spot for yeah, me. Yeah, for me too. That there was, there was enough to do. There was, there was enough to keep engaged with. I found it, you know, it was beautiful to look at, even on the Switch. We all played it, but I think it was me who kind of persevered longest. Like, I, I got 100% in that game. Yeah, you did. Found all the cats. I did find all the cats. And it was it was a nice time. Just, like I said, really low pressure, a nice place to be. And, and it didn't have that kind of 
the weight around my neck as being something I needed to play to be part of something. So yeah, yeah middling games. I'm all for them. <laughs> Mm. so there we go hopefully that answers your question rob uh do feel free to get in touch with us to tell us what crap games you like (laughs) unashamedly (laughs) Uh, or if you've got a question that you'd like us to answer in a future episode then please do get in touch with us via our social media channels so what have we been playing in this last week you know what i'm gonna kick us off this week because you're gonna have to listen to me witter on for about three thousand words in a minute (laughs) (laughs) what you played then have a guess. Binding of Isaac? Binding of Isaac. Exclusively, pretty much. Oh. I just love the game. I absolutely love the game. So let's exclude uh, the keeper from this because I, I, I haven't, still haven't quite figured out how to really sort of make his mechanics work for me. Apart from the keeper, I've done greed mode with everyone. I've done on hard mode, delirium, mega Satan, hush, boss rush, blue baby, the lamb, mum's heart, Satan and Isaac with all of the characters apart from the lost who I've done as of uh, today I managed to do hush with the lost which I was very very pleased with because I you'll see in well in a recent inky dunk run I did I uploaded uh, three I think it was like three failed runs with the lost and I started recording a run because I got the Nord Leaf item, which is like, I thought, the key to being Hush and uh, Mega Satan. No, Delirium. Because if you stand still with uh, the Nord Leaf, you, c- you can't be damaged. So if you have the Nord Leaf and then you manage to get uh, an orbital that does damage, even better, an orbital that will go and attack things like, say, you know, a stage three or four Meat Boy or Bandage Girl, then all you need to do is just stay still. And just eventually the boss will sort of beat itself. <laughs> and I, I know that that's how I beat Hush before. I literally, I died like the floor after getting Nord Leaf. I was absolutely livid. <laughs> and then I had another run where I, I got like the stopwatch, which actually works for the Lost, even though you like usually it's triggered by you taking damage, but you getting hit and losing your holy mantle with the Lost is enough to trigger stopwatch's slowdown effect. And then everything's slow in the room for the rest of the room. And I'm planning on using that idea to beat Boss Rush <laughs> with the Lost, which I still haven't done. But yeah, but I, I, I got to Hush. I had a, Obviously, I had a really good build. I had Brimstone. Uh, I think I was Guppy. And uh, I didn't have um, Stopwatch. I didn't have Nord Leaf. I was trying to find an I'm Drowsy pill so that I could slow the room down. But I didn't have any of them and I managed to do it. And I was very, very pleased with it. Well done. But annoyingly, I wasn't recording that run. <laughs> <laughs> So I've still got Boss Rush, Mega Satan and Delirium to do with the Lost. And uh, I'm I'm not going to bother with greedier mode with the characters. Well, I'll, 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 I'll have a go at it when I've when I've done the rest. But after I've done these ones with the Lost, I'm going to try and get my head around how to play well as, as uh, the Keeper character and try and tick off all of those. But I just it's just brilliant. I mean, I've, I've clearly poured uh, I don't know, probably at least another hundred hours into the game since picking it up again. Easily. It's Easily. just so, so good. Have. Easily. It's at least 30 hours that you can watch of me playing on YouTube. <laughs> oh, I did pick up a little bit of uh, FIFA 21 the other day. I had sort of a hankering to play a bit of FIFA. Uh, picked up my Arsenal team that I'm managing. Bought Lionel Messi. So that was that's good. <laughs> but yeah, that's it. That's it. It's just the binding of Lionel Messi. <laughs> Minty, what have you played this week? Are you still, by default, bravely adventuring on? Uh, truly, truly I am, yes. yeah. Uh, like you, I've also been doing a little bit of Isaac to just before we started recording i have been trying to do greedier mode with the forgotten just to finish off his post in there i've done everything else but oh it's hard 
I had one run where I had the host hat, which gives explosion immunity. And I was like, well, huh. that's it. That's that's the one run because that's pretty much all the ultra greedier can do to you is just hit you with exploding coins. So I figured, oh, well, if he can only throw things at me that I'm immune to, then then I'll win. And then I died on the next floor. So oh. oh, it's so sad when it happens, isn't it? Well, that's it, really, yeah. Chris, how about you? What have you played this week? It's been a little bit light for me again this week. I haven't played much Binding of Isaac, but I have done a odd run just for, for something to do. I'm dreadful at it still, getting worse, <laughs> if anything. But, <laughs> you know, that, that's how it is. What I have played, I, I finished Urban Trial Freestyle on the 3DS. Oh, that's a, it's a lovely little game. I picked it up after you mentioned it the other day. I really like it. Like, I beat it 100% now. Nice. Across each stage, there's kind of a... You know, there's a challenge score to get five stars on each one and then there's a time trial sort of time to get through each one and yeah it's probably taken I don't know only about five hours total over the last few weeks just just little bits here and there but like I said when I when I got the console in the first place and I mentioned it it is a pretty average clone of trials but it looks really nice in 3D and it does I do enjoy the sort of trial and error gameplay of the trial series so it just it fits quite nicely to, to just give a blast here and there I mean the 3DS is not necessarily the best place to play a game like this because it doesn't have analog triggers. So it, it's never going to have the yeah. same kind of nuance of control that the Trials games have on a home console. Because in those games, especially in, in the later stages, success and failure can rest on just incredibly tight windows of control, like millimetres of, of analog control, feathering the throttle and all that sort of thing. But this game, for having a bit less depth, uh, a bit less challenge because of that, it becomes a much better handheld game, I think, because you can play it for 10 minutes, you do make progress, and then you can just set it down and pick it up another day. There's there's not the same kind of push to just have to really, really spend five hours on one track to get through it, because you're not worrying about kind of muscle memory, like I said, of just like subtle movements on your fingers. You just, you just yeah. play and enjoy it. The other game I have played, and I, I just picked up yesterday that I wanted to highlight, especially because it's what I would call a very Chris Dow game. It kind of really, really sort of taps into my interests is a game called Hotshot Racing on the Switch. And it is a lovely arcade racer that's got visuals that are super heavily inspired by the flat shaded polygons of virtual racing. And it's developed by Sumo Digital, who did the trio of Sonic and Sega All-Stars racing games, which were all very good. Ah, yeah. And more importantly, they did all of the home ports of OutRun 2. OutRun 2 has featured on my list. Yeah. It's really nice to play. It's got a really like heavy drift mechanic. It's got a good sense of speed. It's got good music. It looks fantastic. It's it's a proper throwback to sort of 90s Sega racing games. And what I've, what I've really enjoyed about it is that often games that try to mimic elements of the past, they get really hung up on just the visuals. And it's like, well, we nail that. And people won't worry that the game is not very good behind it. <laughs> yeah. Whereas this, you know, I've, I've only played for an hour or so. It gets it all right. It really does get it right. And Sumo are a really good team. And I think their lineage working with Sega really, really does show because it, it feels like a modern Sega game, even though they have had no hands in it whatsoever as, as a publisher. It just looks and feels the part. There's loads to unlock there. It's got kind of, you know, a good reason to sort of repeatedly play and sort of get better at different tracks and cups and everything. So I'm, I'm looking forward to sort of having a bit of time with that this week whilst I wait very patiently for my PlayStation 5, which I have now been able to Ooh. order as a, a birthday yeah. gift from all of my family pooling some money for me. 
as you mentioned when you got yours, Jonathan, it's not easy to get hold of them at the moment. No. So uh, I, I've, I was in a queue for a long time, and now I'm in a queue to wait for it to be shipped for a long time <laughs> as well. But I, I'm uh, I'm not sour. I'm just dour. <laughs> I'm just happy to have the opportunity to eventually be able to play some of these new games. What games have you got queued up? I have on my shelf at the moment. I bought a copy of Demon Souls, even though I know I'll be beyond awful at it i'm gonna try and play through some of that with you i think uh, i'll need it. it i definitely will need it if nothing else just just uh you know sort of virtually hold your hand to get, to get you into it a bit <laughs> yeah I, I got a copy of miles morales on your recommendation excellent that does come with the download code for for spider-man remastered as well so i can sort Super, of play through that yeah. little series hopefully the one i'm most excited about is playing the pathless just because it's uh published by oh, annapurna yeah. i know nothing about it yeah. other than the fact that their stamp was on the front of the box <laughs> So uh, yeah, grab that. Who's it made by? It's made by the they they did another game. Abzu is it? Oh, is it them? I think so. Well, I'll like it even more then. Abzu's great. Well, I very very much look forward to hearing what you think. I mean, mainly I'm just looking forward to hearing you talk about Astro's Playroom. To be honest. Yeah, I mean that obviously I couldn't say that was queued up because it's on the console itself, but. I'm dreadfully excited to play that, hopefully first. You've got to play it first. It's the best introduction to the controller, if nothing else. It's just great. It'll get you excited for to have a PlayStation. <laughs> so, shall we move on to the reason why certainly I'm here? <laughs> <laughs> Which is to talk about my eighth favourite video game of all time. Yes. Hey, I'm really excited. Let's hear it. So, I realised that I inadvertently have a little run of handheld games in my list which started with my ninth favorite game being Link's Awakening and culminates with my sixth favorite video game being what I consider to be the best handheld game ever made and sandwiched between our two more classics of the diminutive device. Now my game this week is a bit of a tricky one to talk about because a lot of the reasons I love it is down to its relationship to a game that has not yet appeared on my list. And, and I don't want to spoil too much about that game, if if indeed it does so happen to appear higher up on my list than this lofty entry. So my introduction to RPGs was a game on the Sega Saturn called Shining the Holy Ark. Ah. I've mentioned it in passing, but I haven't said too much about it. It was a classic JRPG with turn-based battles, an epic story, the most incredible music from Matoi Sakuraba, just the most epic adventure. And I think I've mentioned this before, how the Saturn and home console games were something that I shared with my brother Alex, but my Game Boy and handheld games was something very much of my own. And I remember how when I got games like Pokemon and like Zelda, that they really felt like my games. Now, way, way back when I was talking about Dragon Warrior Monsters, I remember playing that game and I could envisage a top-down, simplistic version of Shining the Holy Ark that would work on a handheld. Like, I I really yearned to have a proper JRPG on a handheld that would be a comparable experience to Shining the Holy Ark that would be entirely mine. And I remember when coverage started on the Game Boy Advance... And the first sort of swathe of images came out for games that were going to be coming out. Seeing things like, you know, Super Mario Advance and seeing things like Kuru 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 Rin, which I was also quite enamoured with. (laughs) It's a great game. But I was totally intoxicated with the first images that I saw of Golden Sun. There it is. This was the first game that really looked next gen in terms of handheld games. 
like seeing things like Mario and, you know, Kuru 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 in, they were nice, they were colourful, they obviously looked a fair bit better than Game Boy Colour games, but Golden Sun, like something about these images, the sprites were so rounded and like the thatched roofs of the houses in the villages were just so, so thatched. <laughs> so, like, that's <laughs> the style of it. And then I read more about it. It was a turn-based RPG from Camelot, the developers of Shining the Holy Ark. And the whole series of Shining games. I read more. I couldn't believe it. Matoi Sakuraba was also doing the music. I, I, I absolutely couldn't believe my luck. I was incensed. Like, for a while, I was led to believe that it would be a launch title for the console. And whilst I was gutted when it was delayed, it did at least afford me the opportunity to, to properly appreciate Rayman Advance and Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2 uh, whilst I waited for Golden Sun's eventual release the following year. Was it worth the wait? I mean, obviously it was. Otherwise, this is like a hell of a detour on my way to talk about Karoo, Karoo, Karoo. Oh, that'd be such a good bait and switch at the end to be like, it wasn't, which is why. <laughs> that would have been good. So Minty talked up Golden Sun many, many weeks back now when it appeared as your 33rd favourite video game of all time. Mm-hmm. And in typical Minty fashion, you gave a superb breakdown of the characters, the setting and the story. I'm going to do my best to give a brief recap, but I definitely recommend going back and listening to that episode too. So the story of Golden Sun takes place in a land called Wayard, a world governed by the mythological concept of the classical elements, earth, wind, air, and fire. And within this world, there are certain gifted people who can attune themselves to the elements to grant them alchemical powers called synergy. These people are called adepts. And we play as Isaac, a young Earth adept, and he is accompanied by his best friend, fire adept Garrett, not the thief. And (laughs) along the way, you meet Mia and Ivan, who are water and air adepts. And because of this overwhelming power of alchemy, many generations ago, this magic was sealed away in Mount Aleph. And the game opens with the game's two antagonists, Satoros and Minardi, trying to steal the elemental stars contained in the mountain to return them to their respective lighthouses across the world to restore the power of alchemy. After the elemental stars are lost to Satoris and Minardi, you are tasked by the Wise One, a weird sort of floating boulder, uh, and also an ancient guardian of Mount Aleph. Uh, you're, you're, you're charged to pursue them, to stop them relighting the elemental lighthouses and save the world from being thrust into another tumultuous period of alchemical instability. So your party of absurdly young characters, like Ivan is like four or something. He's not, he's about 10, but it's mental. <laughs> But they set off uh, to explore the world and stop the villains, and this sees you journey across all kinds of conveniently placed biomes, visit loads of towns, cities, castles, palaces, caves, temples, meet all kinds of brilliant characters along the way. And one of the things that Minty highlighted with this game is, the, is that the, the, the magical side of the game isn't just confined to being powerful attacks in battle. But the power of elemental alchemy is indeed woven throughout the entire world and you'll be using your magical abilities to manipulate things in the world outside of battles. Whether that's turning a, you know, a puddle of water into a pillar of ice to allow you to hop across a chasm and get a secret treasure chest or use a piece of magic to grab an apple from a tree. <laughs> there are also <laughs> literal organic elements of the elements scattered around the world too in the form of the gin system. And you encounter various djinn aligned with the different elements. And sometimes they'll ambush you. Sometimes you'll need to go looking for them. And if you're successful in beating them in battle, then they'll join your party. And you can then align them with a member of your party to alter their 
elemental alignment or boost their core elemental power, allowing you to access the most incredible summon abilities, where you will literally call upon the gods of the elements to aid you in battle in, in some visually stunning magical attacks. It really helps make the game and the world feel alive and inhabited and, and just, just brimming with magic and adventure. Like all the best JRPGs, it's vintage dated. <laughs> and no, um, like all the best JRPGs, the, the, the fun mechanics of exploring this world is, is neatly balanced with, with pure story at its heart. And there's, there's a great quote from a review of Golden Sun that I found that said, it's an RPG that doesn't seem to care that it's just on a Game Boy Advance. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't hold back. It doesn't skimp on the dialogue in the game. The only thing that saw any sort of criticism in the reviews of the game is very wordy, some reviews said. And certainly when I played through the game a second and third time, I, yeah, I'd be skipping through a, the dialogue a fair bit faster than I did the first time. But that first playthrough, I, I loved just how enormous and epic the game was. And I poured over every word of dialogue to find out more about the world, the characters and its deep murky lore. I do, however, remember being a little bit cynical of its dialogue response options. Like, occasionally you'll be asked to respond to something someone else has said, and it was usually just yes or no. And it absolutely didn't matter if you replied yes or no. The conversation would go exactly the same way regardless. Um, it was just a, a, a... Yeah, so I didn't really see the point in those things being in there. But then there are some consequential decisions for you to make as well, which do have some repercussions. But it's such a beautiful game to look at as well. Like for for on the low res screen, especially on like the early Game Boy Advances, which didn't even have a bloody backlight on the screen, it still looked lovely. It had this gorgeous little art style with the sort of chibi esque sprites and beautifully realized environments and buildings. And then there was this really cool kind of pseudo three D. I think it was like Mode Seven imbued overworld map that you know made the world feel like it actually had a sense of depth and you know was actually kind of on a globe more than just just a flat image you know but it was it was the battles where the game really became like a technical showstopper the first thing that will strike you is that the enemy sprites are surprisingly pixelated against the huge variety of beautiful hand-painted battle backdrops that were you know dependent of which environment you were doing the battle in your characters were also quite static they had about two frames of animation that would just loop when they were waiting to attack and defend and you'd be right in thinking that this initial setup isn't that impressive. But then come the actual magical attacks. And my word, were they stunning. Like, it was, it was the first time I'd seen particle effects. And the way that the elemental attacks would just, like, sparkle and fizz with particles flying around to do damage, just it just looked so lovely. And the more powerful the attacks got, the more impressive they looked. And there was two particular attacks that Isaac had called Ragnarok and Gaia Blade, where a, a huge sword would come down and just uh, cleave its way through the entire battlefield, just with this enormous burst of particle effects. And I mean, I didn't know whether or not the slowdown <laughs> that, that followed was part of the effect, but my goodness, it made you appreciate just what was going on. It was by far the best looking thing I'd seen on a handheld. Like I mentioned earlier as well, you also get these like enormous screen filling anime style gin summon attacks. Some of which, like, there's one that like starts in outer space and then the power like increases with this like comet coming down. And then you see like the, the shockwave like go through all of the different biomes of the world before it then reaches the battlefield. Probably just to wipe away three little bats or something. Or like summoning a sea god to produce a tidal wave of particle effects to wash away the sinners. 
I imagine. <laughs> and the music. Mm. My word for music. I knew that Matoi Sakuraba was capable of writing the very best video game music there is to hear, with epic sweeping battle themes, beautifully delicate melodies drifting on the winds of adventure. But with the soundtrack of Golden Sun, like hearing these compositions reduced down to be played through the Game Boy Advance's, you know, pretty basic sound chip, it really made you appreciate just the technical scope of, of what he's created here. Like he'd somehow managed to, to program... I mean, it, it, it sounded like delay, but it's not delay. It's just simply a note being played twice. But <laughs> to, to give that effect in the uh, Soul Sanctum music, it felt like it was echoing all around the Grand Temple Halls. There's a great variety of instruments on show too, with the occasional flute popping in to deliver a killer melody. The battle music was always brilliant. The boss music was always enormous and intimidating. Even just the music that played on the overworld map, which you have to nail that. Otherwise, you know, because you spend a lot of time on there. It it literally, that music sounded like adventure. And like the music (laughs) in the little villages, it just sounds like home. It's it's a phenomenal soundtrack. And, And I listened to a... It was actually it's a it's a fan generated uh, remaster of the soundtrack, and I was listening to that whilst prepping my notes for this, and it was just a real joy to listen to. And it struck me afresh just how progressive his music is. Like he's not averse to dipping into polyrhythms and odd time signatures, and he's not afraid to play around with like modal melodies and chaos chords. I mean, Sakuraba is the master of RPG soundtracks, and. Again, this soundtrack has been written in frank denial of it being on a Game Boy. <laughs> it was everything I ever wanted. It was my shine in the Holy Ark on a Game Boy. It, it may as well have been called Shining Sun for its connection to that series. Like It was it was a shining game. Uh, once I'd finished the game, not only was I ready for more, I was told I would be getting more. Because Golden Sun was actually just half of the game because it had been developed as a much bigger game. But owing to the limitations of the Game Boy Advance cartridges, it had been split into two. And there would be, a, I think it was a couple of years wait for Golden Sun The Lost Age to arrive to complete the story. And interestingly, in the meantime, there, was, there actually was a canonical Shining game developed for the Game Boy Advance as well called Shining Soul. And I remember losing my shit when I heard that that was announced. But unfortunately, it wasn't turn-based RPG that I wanted akin to like, you know, Shining Force and Shining the Holy Ark. But it was like a real-time action RPG in the vein of uh, I think Shining Wisdom, I think, was, was, uh, was the early one of that. And I, I was livid. I never bought it. I never played it. I mean, to be honest, I could have been hoisting myself on my own petard with this uh, because, I, you know, I was like, it's it's not a proper RPG, so I will not play it. But <laughs> fortunately, it actually did get pretty middling reviews, so I don't really think I missed out. Strangely enough, I didn't actually pick up The Lost Age immediately because I, I was actually a little intimidated by it for, well, for a couple of reasons. Firstly, its scope, which was breathtakingly bigger than the first Golden Sun game. Like, similar to what I said about Link's Awakening and how when I got the flippers and I could swim in the sea, it felt like the whole world had been unlocked. And in The Lost Age, you, I think you start the game captaining a ship and you can just set sail wherever you want in the world and, and you could go anywhere. And it was it was frankly overwhelming. The other element that scared me off a little bit was the way that you transferred your save data across from the first game to the Lost Age. And that was with the good old tried and tested 4 billion character password that would carry (laughs) all of the information on your characters, your items, your XP, your limited story choices, everything about your adventure from the first game into the second. Now, to be fair, they did actually compensate. They, They knew that 
<laughs> this this isn't the cleanest way of doing things. So there were several options. Like firstly, if you did have two consoles and a game link cable, you could do it that way. Obviously that's preferable. But then you could also generate three different tiers of passwords, which ranged in like complexity and length that would then, you know, range from carrying the very basic data, like your character names, your levels, your gin collection, a couple of important story choices. And that would be like 16 characters long. So that was like just easy just to whack in if you just wanted to just just to carry over the names and, you know, a bit of information. Then there was a slightly longer silver password all the way up to then the whopping gold password, which was 260 characters. 260 characters. Seriously? 260 (laughs) characters. I dutifully hand wrote that enormous password out and then manually inputted it one character at a time. And remember, this isn't like a touchscreen. You can't type it in. You've got to use the D-pad to select it. And this was all kinds of characters with like accents and punctuation and all kinds of stuff. And I remember it took me like the whole evening to do it correctly because I failed it a few times after I you know, misread my own writing or whatever. But I remember like the day I got it, actually, because it arrived and I was I still had some homework to do. It was quite like an important piece of homework. And my brother, Alex, he said that just to sort of help keep me motivated, he said, you know what, I'll, I'll hold on to the game until you finish your homework and then you can have it. So it wasn't tempting me. And, <laughs> and it was really nice. Like when, when I finished my homework, he'd, he'd, he'd just hidden it under my pillow on my bed, which was it was just really, really lovely. But then I, I didn't actually play the game that night because it took me so long to transfer the data across. And I remember literally like not being able to see my screen because the light had gone from the day and there wasn't a backlight on my screen. And I was just like, I'm just like trying to like forge out this this ridiculous like code by, by like candlelight. Uh, I don't know what, I mean, it wasn't candlelight. You know, we had electricity. But having done that, the bad thing is you don't actually spend a lot of time in the game playing as your old party because they're not the protagonists anymore and instead you're actually playing from the opposing side of the story which then overlaps with the original heroes provides a lot of additional perspective on the themes and the plot like thinking about it today i know that this technique was used in the last of us part two which i heavily criticized because i was like i just don't see what the point was in in playing through it from two different perspectives and i've been trying to figure out exactly why i liked it in the lost age and not in the Last of Us. I, I mean, and I think it helps that the main character in The Lost Age is still really likable and relatable, <laughs> which I just, I just didn't care for for the character of Abby in The Last of Us. And your journey in The Lost Age, it, it takes a vastly different path than the heroes from the first game. So it doesn't feel like it's just telling both sides of the story for the sake of it. And, and actually, because this does progress the story on further than where it left it in the first game, seeing things from the perspective of the first game's antagonists actually makes sense then for you to continue the story from that perspective because you know th- things kind of wrapped up i mean not not neatly with the uh, in the first game but there was definitely a sense of okay these guys they've kind of this is this is a good point to stop and so it would have felt m- might have felt a bit bit shoehorned to then be like oh no now you've got to sail the world just to do another sequel but actually following it from the other side of the uh, the story actually made it made it flow a lot better but then i've only actually played through the lost age once so it doesn't fix as hard in my memory as the original because i played that several times and i remember feeling that that game was slightly compromised from having to be a separate entry to the first game 
So like you're exploring the same map, but a, a totally different area of the world. And the area of the world where the first game took place is, is kind of locked out to you. So you can see that the land is there, but you can't actually go onto the land and go back to where the towns and areas from the first game are. Because obviously that would make the point of having a separate cartridge. That would make it redundant because, you know, obviously it can't store all of the stuff on one. But I remember finding like a little bit of a glitch and being able to sail to a, just a little inlet around the side of the original continent and being able to hop back onto the first world. And it was just like devoid of caves and towns or enemies to interact with. And it kind of shattered the illusion for me a little bit, <laughs> even though like obviously I knew what they were doing and why they had to split it into two games. But I mean, I, I would love nothing more than to have a remaster of these two games. Like it just is begging to be done in the style of something like Octopath Traveler or Bravely Default and just put the two games back together again. And there was, in fact, a very surprising third entry to the Golden Sun series that, that nobody really saw coming. And this was Golden Sun Dark Dawn on the DS. And it came out like 10 years after The Lost Age. And the story is set 30 years after the events of the first two games. And you're playing as like the descendants of the original game's protagonists, I believe. Beyond that, to be honest, I can't really remember anything about the game. It, it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't that it wasn't good. Like, it was great. It was, But it, I remember it being pretty much exactly the same in terms of its setup and its style. So any memories I have of bits of that game have probably merged with my, mem my memories of the first two games. Like, it might be the fact uh, as well that I also played the entire game while suffering with the flu. And I was, I was in a <laughs> kind of delirious haze whilst I manned the desk, uh, acting as a temporary secretary for the Bishop of Monmouth one winter. And I remember it was winter because I had to trudge through a good foot of snow to get to the office from my house. Fortunately, it was only a couple of minutes walk. Otherwise, I, I, I literally wouldn't have been able to make it there while suffering from that, that dreadful malady. But I remember just like getting into the office, pouring myself into my office chair behind the desk, pulling out my DS and playing Dark Dawn whilst I answered the odd phone call, sent the odd email and to be honest, forgot to do about a hundred of the things that I've been asked to do because my brain had just turned to mush. Soup. But to conclude, I may or may not come to talk about Shining the Holy Ark at some point. <laughs> the Golden Sun was my RPG, absolutely undiluted, an absolutely dazzling artistic achievement and just absolutely one of the best adventures you'll ever go on. And it's my eighth favourite video game of all time. Golden Sun. Well deserved. Oh, I never played it. My my enduring memory of that game is, I think, in you waiting for it, you had been playing X versus Sever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I have a memory of you playing X versus Sever on the Game Boy Advance with no light in our form room at school. Yeah. And then one day you coming in and being like, well, this is different. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, you, you showed me one of the battle animations. Yeah. And at the time you were like, it's like the Saturn. It's, it's like playing on the Saturn. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So, that yeah, was, that's what yeah. I remember. That's what I remember. Good. That is, uh, yeah, that ties in exactly with my recollection of it. <laughs> <laughs> what a great game. Well, I said I've got my new 3DS XL. And uh, after last week's episode, I managed to get hold of a copy of the Mario and Luigi games. All of them. Because <laughs> I was like, Minty, you just sold me on it so hard that I was just like, I've got to get these and play them. I mean, I played, uh, I think I played the first two Mario and Luigi games on the Game Boy Advance, mm. but I need to, I need to play the rest. But in prepping this, I'm, I've got Golden Sun and The Lost Age on 3DS Virtual Console, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to play those as well. It's a lot of RPG. It's a lot of RPG. I don't know where I'm going to find the time, but... You will. 
I will. I will. <laughs> my heart is true. My intentions are pure. You always do. So, there we have it. That was my eighth favourite video game of all time, and it was Golden Sun. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes, please do share the podcast on social media, tell your friends about it, get some more people to listen. You can reach out to us as well. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash r3cents. You can find us on Instagram at O3C Podcast, Twitch at O3C Podcast. You can go to YouTube and search for R3Cents and find us there. We'd love to hear from you. Tell us what you're playing. Tell us what you think of these games. Ask us questions you might like us to chat over in future episodes. And please, as well, do tell us what your top 10 favourite video games of all time are, because we are accruing them to feature in a future bonus episode. And uh, that'll be really, really great to discuss. You can also take us to task on our opinions and, and frankly, our attitudes individually. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodge S. And I am Clement underscore Boone. And if you're really enjoying what we're doing and want to support us even more than just listening to all of our gubbins, then head over to patreon.com slash r3cents. Why not pledge a few pennies? Join us on the Discord and have a great time. And please do join us next week for a very, very exciting, super special bonus episode, which we are entitling Feeding the Fire, as we are doing a deep dive into the indie game Blue Fire, the Legend of Zelda come Dark Souls 3D platformer from indie studio Robbie Studios in Argentina. And we have a very special guest, which is Gabriel Rosa, the director of the game. And we'll be chatting all about how the game came to be, challenges of making your first game and the games that inspired him to make blue fire and it is a doozy of an episode and you don't want to miss out see you there top stuff and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor and now a word from our sponsor on apocrypals we talk about the parts of the bible that a lot of people skip over like the wizard battles, the angel jacuzzis, a goat full of sins, 500 drunk elephants, and a man named Porky Party. And yes, that's all really in there. All this and more on Apocrypals every other week on the Greenlit Podcast Network. The award-winning Go Nintendo Podcast is the best place to get the latest news on the world of Nintendo. We cover the biggest stories, share impressions of the latest games, and answer your burning questions. There's also some general pop culture talk, game music trivia, a heaping helping of silliness, and did I mention our sassy robot companion? I'm the star of the show. Catch new episodes of the Go Nintendo Podcast every Saturday on the Greenlit Podcast Network.